1: Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. You're listening to Well, Well, Well here on Joy 94.9, presented to you each and every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. I'm your host, Jacqueline and joined this week at the Victorian Pride Centre Studios, by our panel operator, Cal Hawk. Okay. How are you going?
2: Uh, good. They don't need to know that you're
1: operating the panel this week.
2: How are you feeling? Well, look, it? I think it's one of those things. We've talked about this so many times around. It's great to be the Pride Center, and it's great to be you know back broadcasting back in the studio. But you know, it's um, a little behind the scenes glimpse for listeners. Is that generally speaking, with all the shows that had, Jack and I have done, Jack is at the helm and running things because I wasn't you know, really in studio running a whole program for two years because of COVID.
1: You also went in Australia for a little bit.
2: Yeah, but that was during COVID as well. So, I mean, it doesn't make a difference. It, yeah, it doesn't. That was, that was a, the Russian nesting doll of circumstances. That was the, my Truduska <laughs> wish in the other one. But, um, you know, it's yeah, enough about that. Enough about COVID. Um recent events. Recent it's been events. busy. Yes. It has
1: been busy. You went to the Globe Awards.
2: I did. I did. I've been really fortunate that um for one reason and another, other because my involvement in Thorn Harbor, mm. my involvement in you know, with Melbourne Surge and um sport and diversity, et cetera. I've been able to go to Globe Awards uh, a couple different years, but it was a really big year yep. for Thorn Harbor Health this year. They were nominated across five different categories, one all five things, um, including a healthy community um, for the admin group, which the admin group sounds like it's the people that work in the office. But admin is actually the name of a alcohol and other drug um, peer support program. Yes, uh, aimed at transgender diverse communities. Um, we saw some success with uh, the Victorian Coalition against the or, or with for the conversion practices bill, which banned conversion practices um, in
1: Victoria.
2: In Victoria, that's yes. correct. Yeah, um, and in fact, the survivors. Um, of Conversion Practices Group was actually also given the Inspiration Award this year, which was beautiful. Um, you know, because that bill is really world-leading uh, because it was so informed by mm. the, the lived experiences. of the And I Show. believe
1: we've seen... Um Conversion practices banned since in New Zealand as well. That's right. As a yeah. country,
2: um, New Zealand has banned it altogether, um, which is pretty remarkable. Mm. And hopefully, you know, uh, we see that happen in more places around the world.
1: Thornharbor Harbour also took home a few other events, I believe, around the bent spoon. Yep, which we've we've talked about on uh, Well Well Well
2: before, yep. which features it's a basically an online web series yep. that uses uh, cooking. As a vehicle to talk about personal stories of culturally and linguistically diverse LGBTIQ people as part of our community here in Australia, which mm. was wonderful um, as well, and yeah, it, it was it was a great night um, all around. And I think the big thing, the the rhetoric that I am hearing from so many people, and uh, you know, I think I talked about it before on the show, mm. is that with these community events, people are saying time and time again. I, I've kind of forgotten why I, I, that I needed this as much yes. as I was to be in the same room with other people to actually, you know. And the Globe event is a nice event in that it, it, it it's a little bit glamorous. It's it was a little, a little, black little bit tie. Um and so you know our communities don't get a chance to kind of really um, do that really often. Um, and so it was it was a very lovely evening and was to honor a ton of people's work, um, not only the people that won but also the finalists that were listed. There a lot of people's. Um, work was really really elevated and showcased and it was a great night all around absolutely now we have some stuff coming up on well well you know we are coming out of festival season and we've had time to take stock and reflect and think about some shows that we'd love to do in the near future one of those shows coming up is we actually want to do a bit of a series on sex after 60 60 in our lgbtiq communities yes. um so if you are a listener or if you or someone you know uh you know Would be up for a bit of an interview,
1: talking about some potentially some personal experience.
2: Sure, but I think there, you know, so many times we have a tendency to sort of go people's sex life um, just sort of disappears. We don't see people as sexual beings after a certain point in yes. their age, um, which is, one, inaccurate, and two, um, kind of ageist. Yes. And so we're hoping to kind of debunk some of that and um, yeah, really delve into sex after 60. So, if you are a listener or if someone you know you know it, it is a great personality with a great robust sex life and they'd want to <laughs> talk about that and some of the issues they're facing. We want to hear about um, it. Yeah, we do want to hear about it. And even if it's not robust, talking about you know what that looks like later yeah. in life, um, we want to hear from you. So well, well, well at joy.org.eu. Um shoot us an email um because we would love to chat and um you know it could be in studio, it could be remotely. Um so you don't even need to be in Victoria or you don't need to be in
1: Victoria or in Melbourne. If you're in, you know, Victoria you could be in South Australia, you could be in Queensland, you could be you know anywhere across the country. Indeed across the world
2: perhaps look norfolk Island, you know if you're yeah. I'm just the, the Australian antarctic territory you know if you've got a good wi-fi signal we want to talk to you and hear about what uh, sex after 60 so is
1: like reach out well 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 at joy.org.au indeed if you have any questions around um you know uh, the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender sex and sexually diverse communities let us know what are those questions what do you want to hear from us um right now we want to hear about sex over 60 from you but in the future yeah feel free to email us um Look, coming up on this show, HIV testing has usually been done in labs or in instances like uh, with Pronto in Melbourne or Rapido in Adelaide in a peer-led context with rapid testing. However, at home or self-testing has been the topic of much debate in recent months with the rise of COVID-19 rapid antigen tests. So coming up, we'll be taking a look at an HIV self-testing pilot project in Adelaide called Connect and chatting to the project coordinator, Nikki Sullivan from Sameash. You're getting Well, Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we're discussing the pilot project in Adelaide, Connect rapid HIV testing in the community. And we're now joined by project coordinator at Sameash, Nikki Sullivan. Hey, you on, Nikki.
0: Good, thank you. Jack, and you?
1: Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, So I guess to begin with, what is the Connect project?
0: Well, Connect is a federally funded project um, which will pilot and evaluate the use of vending machines to distribute free HIV self-test kits. Um, What we're hoping to do by doing that is to facilitate rapid testing and to strengthen pathways to treatment and support. Uh, I think it's important to mention probably that it's the first project of its type in Australia. And as such, it's funded as part of the activities to support the national response to bloodborne viruses and sexually transmissible infections.
2: Um, so with that in mind, you know, I know that in South Australia, we've got uh Rapido with the rapid testing there. We've got, you know, um, Adelaide sexual health center for testing there. Why do we need, uh, HIV home, or why do, we, why do we think that we need this project? Um, and what are we exploring?
0: Yeah, I guess the, the the reason this project is needed, in our opinion, is that, um, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that while transmission rates in Australia are, as we know, decreasing for the most part, um, this is not the case amongst all demographic groups. So for example, that migrant bloodborne. Virus and sexual health survey results that were published last year showed that in 2017 the their rates were um, the rates of notification of HIV were three times higher amongst people born in Southeast Asia and Sub Saharan Africa than they were in um, long term Australian residents or Australian born um, populations. So there are um, demographics that we need to be reaching and that currently we aren't reaching as well as we would like to. Um, and we know that there are, whilst there's barriers to testing for everybody, there are specific barriers to some of those communities uh, that that even things like free testing programs don't really overcome. Um, So, yeah, I can tell you a bit more about what those barriers are. Yeah, absolutely. I
2: guess. Yeah, because it sounds like, you know, um, it's not always straightforward. It's not necessarily just the logistics of having available hours or being able to get an appointment. It sounds like there might be something more going on there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so while well, you know you can open the doors and welcome everybody in, not everybody's going to come, and I guess then you need to ask yourself, well, why is that? Um, so there are quite a few barriers. One, of course, is is um, cost. So while lots of people have Medicare access. Some people don't, particularly people on temporary visas. And we do know that for international students, uh, they are often on their parents' private health insurance. And what that would mean is, is if they undergo testing for um, sexual health issues, then that's going to show up on their parents' records and, you know, that may well not go down well. Um, we also know, though, that... Um, People on temporary visas might fear that a positive result might impact their visa status um, but might not really know how to begin to talk to anyone about that. And I guess this project, because it's embedded in a whole range of support services, it, we, we kind of have the capacity to uh, do follow-ups where we assure people about those kinds of things, but we've also produced all that information as well so that um, when someone accesses a kit, they can go to our website and find out answers to those kinds of questions. Um, time, of course, is a barrier, so a lot of people, particularly people who work long hours, just don't have the time to go to clinics. Um, but I think things like Privacy and stigma, fear of discrimination are really huge ones for a lot of people to overcome, particularly people who come from backgrounds where sex and sexual health is just not something that's openly discussed. And so to be able to get a test from a machine where you don't have to go and talk to anybody, to then be able to get all of the information that you need to carry that test out, to understand the results, to know what to do next, without actually having to encounter anyone if you don't want to, um, and to be able to do that freely and then do the follow-ups fit freely if, the, if that's necessary, um, is huge in overcoming a whole range of um, barriers.
1: I mean, you mentioned earlier, uh, say, for I believe it was Rapido in Adelaide or, you know, other HIV uh, testing opportunities, you know, like hours might be a problem. Are HIV self-test kits w- widely available at this point if, if they're in, you know, vending machines? What sort of opportunity is there for people to go to, say, a chemist or um, somewhere that might not necessarily have like a, a Medicare or, or in- insurance traceable record?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, until the end of last year, you could only access these kits and these Atomo, which is the kits that we're using, are the only kits that are endorsed by the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia. You could only access them online from Atomo. Um Late last year, the TGA did change some of its regulations, which meant that the kits are from the beginning of this year available in chemists. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how much they retail for, but I would imagine it's around about $25. If you buy them online, you also have to pay for the postage. So what Connect does is makes them freely available. Um, It makes them freely available in locations that are accessible to most people 24-7, and I'll say more about that in a minute, um, but I think what's most important is that it, it embeds them, I guess, in a, in a whole kind of set of support systems, which you, you're not going to get if you go to the chemist. If you go to the chemist, you'll get the kit in the same way that we do the rats tests, um, but you don't necessarily um, get all of the sort of support mechanisms that we've produced around the project.
2: Um, I like that you brought up the rat test because I imagine, you know, you've been working with Connect for some time and then you've had this whole, you know, rollout of self-diagnostics for a different pandemic um, happening in the meantime. Um, but I guess thinking about that more broadly as well, um, what precedent is there for a project like this to help us self diagnostic in this way?
0: Yeah, well, there have been similar um pilots carried out in the US, the UK and New Zealand Um, and we have drawn quite heavily on them uh, on their published findings which is you know it's been great. It's it's helped us to think through how we might shape this so that it's as effective a a project as it can be in um, you know engaging people that that are infrequent testers or people who've never tested before. What those pilots found was that the vending machines did increase the number of people testing who had either never tested before or who were infrequent testers. Um, and they also found that they did overcome some of those barriers that I've talked about before. One of the uh, um, things that was interesting for me anyway was um, in terms of these prior uh, pilots was that they all all by one restricted how many um, kits someone could access, um, so it was one kit every three months. Uh, but one of the projects didn't didn't place that restriction and what they found was that this sort of informal distribution network evolved uh, that meant that many more people were actually getting kits, even if they they weren't wanting to go to the machines to get them. And so we decided to do that, to not restrict the number of kits that people could vend so that if, you know, somebody's friend might want one but not feel that they could go to the machine for all sorts of reasons, um, whether, you know, physical or, or whatever, um, then you can get one for somebody else. Also, if you're somebody who might feel a little bit nervous and lacking confidence about doing the test you might get a result and go, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I did it properly, you can go back and get another one. Um, So it's been great for us, the fact that um, we've had those studies to draw on. I think the one thing that's worth uh, mentioning that makes our project really different to those projects is that they all uh, only place vending machines in sex-on-premises venues. And while we are placing one of our five machines in Adelaide's only sauna, the other four are all going On university campuses. And those spaces are open to students 24-7 and to non-students during business hours.
1: You mentioned that uh, earlier, culturally and linguistically diverse communities um, stand to gain significantly from a project like this. What involvement does the cultural advisory group, the CAG, I've heard you say, uh, what involvement do they have in the project?
0: It's been great that we did set up a cultural advisory group uh, early on in the project and, um, I mean, as a white, (laughs) um, you know, relatively middle class person, um, I couldn't possibly know what the needs of... A whole range of diverse communities are um, and working with this group which consists of people from a whole range of um, cultural backgrounds has been really really enlightening for me. I've learned lots about what the needs of specific communities are and how we might meet those needs. Um, So I guess one of the first things that we did was to talk about translations. You know, do we need to translate the material? If we do, which material, which languages? Uh, We've ended up translating most of the material that supports the project into seven different languages, so Arabic, Chinese, Hindi, Indonesian, Malay, Vietnamese, and Spanish. Wow. (laughs) Um, And so things like all of the the – the Kits have instructions for use, which, you know, like those sort of things that you get in – the Ikea Like the 14-page uh, fold-out. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible to read in English, right? But we've had those translated into all of the different languages. We've got subtitles on the Atomo video Um, All of the website is available in all of those different languages and also the follow-up survey will be, which is really great. So, I mean, I'm hoping that that will mean that everything is much more accessible than it might otherwise have been. It'll be interesting to see how well or otherwise used those resources are. So we are doing some tracking around that to see whether or not that actually is something that communities really want. Um, But also the the CAG group has been involved in marketing, so they've been giving feedback on uh, campaign uh, design work as it's been produced on community engagement, you know, what are the community outlets through which we might reach these communities, where, what kinds of suburbs should we have the outdoor campaign Uh, materials in so it's just been fantastic they they know their communities really well and they've been incredibly generous in their time and um you know their their feedback and their contribution to the project
2: you started to touch on this before and you're we're kind of going back into that area but you know you've talked about uh the vending machines being planned to be at universities can you walk us through i guess the rationale behind that
0: Yeah, I I guess the the rationale was that we really wanted to attract or to engage uh, international students. And as we know, they are all returning this year, uh, which is fantastic. Um, They are a particularly vulnerable group for all sorts of reasons. You know, many of them find themselves in a a culture or a cultural context that's quite different than their own, where um, norms around... Sexual activity and, and um, relationships are quite different. Uh, often, as I said, they, they won't have access to Medicare. And so we really want to engage these students, not simply to access tests, but we want to contribute to, the, I guess, the ongoing um what would how would you say it? Well, I, we want to increase sexual literacy, sexual health literacy. We want to work with people to um, provide them with information about and access to uh, ways to live their sexual lives in, uh, you know, safely. Um, so Adelaide Uni has partnered with us, as has UniSA. They both have two vending machines to Adelaide Uni on the one campus and uh, at UniSA at two of their campuses, City West and Mawson Lakes. Um, and th- they've been fantastic. I mean, they're, they're both of those universities are um, rolling out campaigns around sexual health more generally um, and their student welfare um officers are really supportive of this, but they, they feel that it is an important part of supporting international students is providing this these kinds of services.
2: I think it's a, an amazing opportunity too, because Nikki, you know, having, you know, obviously I wasn't born in, in Australia, and while the US and, uh, and Australia aren't necessarily as culturally uh, different from each other as some of the other countries that, y- that you're hoping to reach out to or people from those countries. There is something about That university period where it's an opportunity in your psychology, you're kind of going, you know, and especially when you go abroad, I can remember how it's sort of like a chance to go and do things anew. I know that I came out in Australia, because I didn't feel comfortable back in the States um, from it. And there's this chance for disruption um, that you're open to at a point at a university level. So I think it's such a, a remarkable opportunity that, you know, and we always, you know, people joke about I try new things, or, you know, I went through a phase of this in college. And, you know, in a way, it is such a great opportunity. Opportunity to introduce, like you said, that sexual health literacy to an audience that maybe otherwise just, you know, if they were in the same environment or the the same kind of rigmarole of their previous life, that you know they wouldn't have that opportunity, and that's really, 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 really remarkable. Um, I wanted to ask you too about the format of vending machines because I do know I've seen before, you know, vending machines with regard to like um, needle and syringe exchanges and whatnot before. It, it, it's kind of a, you know, I think thinking about the delivery of a health technology via vending machine. Um, I think most people wouldn't, you know, necessarily think about it, uh, you know, kind of, it would be a weird, uh, kind of a, an unusual concept to do it along the way in that regard. But what are some of the risks or considerations in rolling out these vending machines? Mm. Uh,
0: I, look, I think that, you know, as we've spoken to communities, the the biggest concern has been that people might access a kit maybe late at night, maybe when they're feeling a bit down, maybe when they've had something to drink, um, go home and do a test, get a result that worries them, um, and what happens then? They're all alone. Um, I think the reality of that is that can happen anyway, you know, because you can buy one online uh, or you can get one from someone else or whatever. But I think that we've worked really hard to embed this in you know, a support system that means that we've provided links, numbers to a whole range of support services. People can ring Lifeline 24-7. You know, we're here the next morning. Um, so I think that you know, that concern, which is definitely the biggest one, um, we have done all we can to overcome it. And there have been studies carried out in uh, other countries so there was a big study carried out in the US on a project that didn't use vending machines but actually posted out self-test kits to users. There were the same concerns there and uh, what they found was that nobody actually, you know, did themselves any harm or anything like that uh, as a result of testing at home. Um, the, I mean, there, there are some risks, I guess, to the vending machines, uh, but given that they are in Places where there there's lots of security. I I don't we don't anticipate any problems with
2: that. I think Um, you're right. That that mindset is where everyone immediately goes is like that worst case scenario. But then, do we let that worst case scenario, which to some extent is speculation, stand in the way of us being able to access all these other people and make it so much more accessible and like all these opportunities that you're talking about?
0: That's right. And I mean, I think if you look historically. Pregnancy tests, I, I don't know if when they first became available, people were having the same conversations about, oh, my goodness, what if someone's at home who doesn't want to be pregnant and they, you know, find out that they are and they're alone. Um, but, I mean, we know that, you know, finding out that you're pregnant if you don't want to be can, can be devastating. Um yeah, but I think- nevertheless, the home testing is something that's already there, has been there for a long time, is becoming increasingly um, available around other kinds of things like COVID. Um, I think it's just part of the landscape.
2: Yeah, and I think there's something to be said there around respecting the agency of individuals rather than fearing it in this way that you think you need to control how people engage or take take power of their health. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a really poignant kind of area to explore and to talk about in a really open way, you know, what will tell you that the machines are going to make a positive impact? Because like you said, people kind of get them and then they go off. So how do we sort of assess, is this as an intervention working?
0: Yeah. Well, we are doing a follow-up survey. So um, about two weeks after somebody registers, they will get a follow-up SMS that will have a link to the survey. And hopefully, I mean, there's no obligation to complete the survey, but hopefully they will. Um, And that will give us lots of data. But if they don't, what happens when somebody um, scans the QR code on a poster or on the machine to access Uh, a kit they'll be asked four questions that they'll need to answer in order to then be able to get a kit um age sexuality whether or not they've ever tested before and country of birth Um, so we will get that data and be able to report on whether or not people are testing who hadn't tested before you know where where these people are coming from um a little bit about them i mean it I, I'm really hoping that people will do the follow-up surveys because there's lots of important data in there about the process too, about, you know, h- how easy was it to get a kit um, about follow-up services and so on. But yeah, we, we'll, we'll have to see how that goes.
1: I guess uh, for people who are curious about the Connect project, um Where can they find out more and roughly when is it planned to launch across Adelaide?
0: Okay. So we are currently just waiting for the vending machines to arrive, you know, along with everything else that COVID's disrupted. It's disrupted uh, delivery time. So as soon as they are here, and I'm imagining that's going to be in the next two to three weeks, they will be installed at all of the venues. So at Pulteney Sauna, um, UniSA, two campuses, and Adelaide Uni. And as soon as that happens, everything will be live. There will be posters around. We're doing uh, quite a a large outdoor campaign with JC Decoe, which starts on the 14th of March. So from then, basically, I'd say from about, you know, let's say two to three weeks' time until the end of September, the machines will be in situ, and there'll be lots of information. The web pages will be live and people can find about out about it by going to the Samesh site or, you know, giving one of us a call or just looking out for the promotional material that's either online or out there around the city.
1: Uh, Nikki Sullivan, Connect Project Coordinator at Samesh. Thank you so much for joining us on Well, Well, Well.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbor.org.
0: This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024